The word faith is a, uh, is a word that any of you who have been in church more than two times, you've heard that word. You've heard the concept of faith. Uh, you need to have faith in your husband. You need to have faith in your wife. You need to have faith in your pastor and your coaches and your teachers. And I chuckle, you need to have faith in your politicians. <laughs> not sure about that, but uh, we understand the word faith. When I was in graduate school, there was a song by George Michael, You Gotta Have Faith. Any of y'all remember that song? Nobody in the first service had ever heard it. Faith, faith. He said about 50 times, faith, faith, faith. You gotta have faith, faith, faith. I don't think he was talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus when he was talking about faith, faith, faith in that song. But, you know, it's, it, everybody, it, faith is part of the Christian world, the non-religious world. We understand that. Well, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Great Faith Chapter. Hebrews 11. We're going to be in it this Sunday and then in two weeks. Ne- next week, I and some of our church members will be in Vermont on a mission trip where we're hoping it's like 50 degrees and we'll be praying for you all down here uh, in the humidity. But this Sunday and then on the 28th, we're going to be in Hebrews 11. And let's begin with trying to answer this question. What is faith? What, what is faith? Hebrews 11, verse, verse 1 and 2, it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, basically in this chapter, you have a role of honor of great Old Testament Christians. Great Old Testament God followers. And, and so what we see here is their example of how God wants us to be. Going back to verse 1. Now, faith is being sure. The word faith, very important. She's 24 times in this chapter. Faith or believe is. The word faith means to be persuaded of. It means you have a knowledge of something. Now, listen, this is important. You have a knowledge of it, and then you assent to it. Not just that you have a knowledge of, but it's a knowledge and assent to it. It's a confidence in and a lively, active belief. Now, you jump down to verse 6. It begins, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe. Believe is a sister word to faith, and a little bit different twist of meaning, but very similar. It means to give credit to. It means to be mentally persuaded or to have confidence in someone or something. So what is faith when you bring it together? Faith is a commitment to someone. It is, a, it is trusting. It is putting your confidence in someone or something. It's not just believing it here. That's where it begins. But it's believing it here enough that you surrender yourself and you follow that person or that thing. It is a lively faith. In other words, the faith we're talking about here, if it does not affect your life, it's not true faith. It's just simple believing intellectual facts. Now, it's interesting, too, in verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. The word sure is a great word. It means foundation. It, this word was used in Bible times to talk about a foundation for something. Or it was talking about a business contract or deed. The word certain means convicted of. It means that I know that I know that I know that this is true. Guys, here's what he's saying. He's saying faith in in the Christian realm is that you and I saying we can't see God, but we believe he's there. 
We can't see God, but we believe he's who he said he is, and therefore we're following him with our life. We believe this is our contract with God, this book, and his book is his contract with us. And although we can't understand it all, we can't figure it out, we figure it out all, we are following him, we are trusting him, and we are letting him transform our life. It is a commitment to and a confidence in the God and the God of the Bible. Perry Laster, one of our church members, uh, wrote in a devotional thought recently describing the four different types of faith found in the Bible. Now, this is very important. We're going to look at three over the next few weeks. The first is, is this. It's saving faith. When the Bible talks about faith, it talks about becoming a Christian. It talks about a saving faith, okay? You have to have faith in Christ to be saved. We're going to talk about that in a second. Okay, secondly, it's what Perry described as daily faith. That's as a Christian, you you don't just put your faith in God and then go to sleep. You live by faith. You trust God. It's a daily confidence in and trust in God, okay? The third thing is the supernatural faith. We're going to look at this in two weeks where we have faith in God for a miracle or for something great to happen, and we trust him and we believe God for something big. And the fourth is faith is described in the Bible as a gift. It's described as a spiritual gift. Now, what that means is, is every Christian has a spiritual gift. And let's use the, there's the gift of teaching, there's the gift of preaching, there's the gift of service. Every Christian is to be a servant, but some Christians are specially gifted to serve and to help God and other people. Every Christian is to have faith. Some Christians, God gives a special touch of or special gifting in trusting God for big and mighty things. We're going to, again, we're going to look at those first three this, this Sunday and in the following Sunday. Several years ago, 2008, in Oxford, England, not Oxford, Mississippi, Oxford, England, two renowned scholars were given $4 million, given a grant, to study to see if there was actually a faith gene in our being, that if we had a gene in us that made us tend to faith. And one of the guys was being interviewed and he said, in all this gobbledygook, I believe in the evolutionary process that through the last billions of years, man has evolved with a faith gene. They needed that to survive. And, you know, the Greek word for that is baloney. You know that, don't you? A gene just evolved. You know, we were, I guess in between man and ape, mid there, somewhere it popped into us, the faith gene. Folks, let me tell you, God God has given you a faith gene to trust him, to follow him, to lean in him, to depend on him. Whether you use it or not is up to you. It has eternal consequences whether you use it or not. But God has given you that faith gene. Now, let's look at several things this morning that are so significant for faith. One, faith is the key to heaven. Everybody in here, I think, wants to go to heaven. I've never, in a church house, I've never ran into anybody that said, hey, I'd like to go to hell. I like it hot. Well, faith is the key to getting to heaven. Look in verse 4 and 5. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith... He was commended as a righteous man, and when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, three times in this one verse, he still speaks even though he is dead. Brian, leave that there for a second. This is the first couple, not Barak and Michelle, but the, the literal first couple, Adam and Eve's first two children. And you, talk, you think your family's got problems. The first couple 
Cain ends up killing Abel. The brother, they killed, first murders in the first family. You know what happened? Because Cain was religious. He just wasn't righteous. And his brother Abel was righteous. And he offered a sacrifice from a heart of faith that was from a commitment to God and a trust in God. And Cain offered a sacrifice that was not that. And Cain's jealousy led him actually to murdering his brother. It was faith that made Cain's, Cain's, not only his offering, but his life acceptable to God. Now look in verse 5. By faith, Enoch, this is an an Old Testament guy in Genesis chapter 5, was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. No, this is a great story too, a strange story. This guy named Enoch, man, he loved God. He lived a life of faith. And the Bible said he's just walking along one day and God just took him on to heaven. He didn't die. He just disappeared. Don't you know CSI, Garden of Eden was going crazy? (laughs) Oh, my wife would never buy that. She'd put a private investigator. She'd find out where I was. He's just walking along, and a cloud came, and God took him. Yeah, uh-huh. He's in Hawaii with the dogs is where he is. <laughs> but the Bible says God took him because of his faith. You know, when I was growing up, I thought Old Testament people went to heaven because they were good, and New Testament people went to heaven because of their faith in Christ. No, no, no. It's always been about faith. And in Genesis cha- or excuse me, Galatians chapter 3 Way over in the New Testament from Genesis, it says, Consider Abraham. He, listen, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand that that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles and everybody else by faith. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, All nations will be blessed through you. In verse 26 of this same chapter, you were all sons of God because you're Baptist. Amen? <laughs> Read that with me. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Andy Griffith. Everybody in here knows who Andy Griffith, don't you? Andy Griffith, you know who he is, whether you raise your hand or not. You know who Andy is. You know, Andy died last year, July the 3rd. 2012, and I thought it was so neat when, his, when they were interviewing his wife. Here's what his wife said. She said, you know, I hate to lose him, loved him dearly, he was such a great man. But, but Andy had such a faith in Jesus Christ that he was ready when his time came. And that we know today he is in heaven with our Lord. Not because he was a good actor or, or he was a nice guy, but because he had a faith in Jesus Christ. What does saving faith in Christ look like? It begins in your head. Do you believe Jesus is God's son? Do you believe that? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he came back to life? You don't have to understand that. The Bible never says understand these things and you will be saved. It says you accept these things. But then faith moves to that next realm, that lively faith. Faith says not only do I believe it here, but it says I believe it, therefore I'm going to give my life to Christ. Wrapped up all in that one word faith is the idea not only of mental acceptance, but it's commitment of your life, it's, it's surrender of your life, it's repentance and it's trusting God. That's what faith is. You, you won't, will not go to heaven no matter how poor you are, rich you are, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, whatever you are, without true faith in Christ, okay? Now, here's the third thing. This is scary. It's, you got to have faith to please God. 
Faith is a key to pleasing God. Not only is it the key to getting to heaven, but here we start getting more personal to those of you who are already Christ followers. In verse 5, it says, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him. Before he was taken, he was commended as one, look, who what? Who pleased God. In verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Folks, if we look at these words, impossible, it literally means what you think it means. It means unable, you cannot do it. It is not within the realm of possibility. And they use the word please, and this is interesting. The word please there in the Bible literally means to satisfy or give satisfaction. It's not only impossible to be saved without faith in God, but listen, for many of us Christians, we have put our faith in Christ. Slowly and surely, we've taken it back. We're not living committed to Christ. We're not living a life of trust and faith in Christ. And here's what the Bible says. It is, it is impossible It's not within the realm of possibility to satisfy or please God without our trust and our confidence in him. That's a little bit scary, isn't it? You you know this. In life, you need to be trusted. Now, I'm going to throw this disclaimer. If you're not a trustworthy person, you've got to earn people's trust, okay? But if you're a trustworthy person, you know your spouse needs to trust you. And you need to trust your spouse. There is no joy in someone not trusting you, especially if you're trustworthy. Your boss needs to trust you. They need to be able to, but then they need to trust you. Your employees, boss, they need to trust you. Parents, your kids need to trust you. And you need to feel their trust. And and young people... You need to earn your parents' trust, but you want them to trust you. When, when you do have a flat tire and you're 30 minutes late getting in and you smell like beer, you want the truth to be that you had a flat tire and some crazy person poured beer on you. Amen? I know the stories, believe me. But, but you cannot have a happy relationship with someone if there's not trust there. God says, you cannot, I cannot be right with him and please him and satisfy him if we do not lean into him and trust him and depend on him. That's scary, isn't it, a little bit? Brenning Manning was a very interesting man. He was a priest. He was a minister. He was a prolific writer, and he wrote a book entitled Ruthless Trust. And in this book, he tells a story of a a famous ethicist named John Cavanaugh. John Cavanaugh was searching for what God had left him on earth for. So he went to India to serve with Mother Teresa for a while. And as he was serving with her, he told her one day, he said, Mother, will you pray God will give me clarity? I need to know what God wants me to do down the road, what God's plans for my future are 5, 10, 15 years from now. And she said, I will not pray for that for you. Sounds kind of mean for a four-foot-eight nun. She said, here's what I will pray. I'll pray that you'll trust God. God's going to give you enough life to see, not 10 years down the road, but he'll give you enough life to see the next day and the next week and the, the move he wants you to make, what God wants you to do. God doesn't want you to understand everything and figure it out. See, here's our problem in Ruston. Many of us have a lot of education. 
People have money. People have been successful and know how to figure things out. The problem is we can't figure God out. Have you ever noticed you put God in your box and he, has a, he breaks the box, doesn't he? God is really good at that. Well, I've got God all figured. When I was 23 in preaching, I had all the answers. Now I have a whole lot more questions. But I know God better and I know God's worth trusting. See, God's not interested in us figuring everything out. God's primarily interested in us first trusting him. You see, the context that this was written in 2,000 years ago was that there was many gods. There was little g-o-d-s. And and they worshipped all these gods that were out there. And their gods didn't love people, didn't care about people. But here comes Jesus, the God of the Bible, and he loves us and he's in our lives. He's in you if you're a Christian. He's in this room today beside you. And what he says is, I want you to trust me. In fact, God says, we cannot have a good relationship if you won't trust me, okay? Here's the fourth thing. Faith's the key to prayer. We looked at this in detail a few weeks ago, so we will not tarry long on this, but it's worth touching on again in verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Let me ask you this today. When you're praying, do you believe God's hearing you? Do you believe that God's there? Do you believe God can help you? Do you believe God will help you? I read a story several years ago of of a person who practiced Buddhism. And apparently, at least in this form of Buddhism, the way they prayed is you would write your prayer on a piece of paper. And then you would fold it up and you would put it in what they called a prayer wheel. And then you would spin that wheel. And as many times that prayer went around, that was as many times as it went to the gods. And this one lady spun her prayer 44 times. You know, I feel sorry for that because that's just superstitious, isn't it? I mean, that's just silly. But see, a lot of us pray like that, don't we? We just, oh, God, I don't know if you're there or if you care, if you're going to do anything or not. But if you can and you're not busy, help, please. That's not how you pray if you're a Christian. Remember I told you about the guy a few weeks ago who said when he rides by himself in his car, he keeps the passenger side seat empty because that's where Jesus sits. And he prays and he pictures Jesus there. And when he's by himself, whether it's in his study or at work or at home and he's praying, he pulls up a chair right there beside him because that's where Jesus sits. It helps his faith. Folks, the Bible says Jesus is in the room with you. You need to, When you approach prayer, you need to believe that he's hearing you. You need to believe that he's going to answer you. You need to believe he's got the bicep to help you. And by the way, he does. And you need to believe he's going to help you. Now, God, unfortunately, does not always help me like I request. Any of you ever experienced that? Yes, you do. Or everyone in this church would be multimillionaires. But God will help. Pray in faith that you're connecting to a God who loves you and can help you. Here's the, here's the fifth thought. Prayer is the key to obedience. It is a key to obedience. Now, this is a biggie. This isn't as fun as the God loves you and so do I stuff. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir... The heir of righteousness comes by faith. 
Noah, some scholars believe that at this point in history, maybe it had never rained. I don't know if it had or not. No one knows for sure. But they certainly believe there had never been a flood. So Noah's telling these people there's going to be a flood of water that's going to destroy the earth. And, and it takes him decades and decades to build, not like what you would think, a, a boat. I mean, one like these kids were skiing behind the ark. I mean, it's like, it's like a big floating log, basically, is what it was. And you, can you imagine the ridicule he got? Noah, you're crazy. Noah, you've been drinking the bad wine again. Noah, did you fall off that ark and get the gopher wood hit you? What is wrong with you? But he obeyed God. And by the way, when all was said and done, it was only him and his family left standing. You remember that? It took obedience. It took faith to obey God. Look in verse 8, another great story. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham is probably 75. He is, he is going to the senior adult meetings at his church. He sings in the senior adult choir. He goes to the nursing home in the community to play dominoes. I mean, he is a senior adult. And God says, I want you to leave everything and take your wife and go to a place you do not even know where you're going. And he also said, by the way, your wife's been barren your whole life. Now she's past childbearing age. But you're going to have a kid. And through that kid, the promised Messiah is going to come. And your ancestors are going to be numerous as the sand is on the sea. How many of you think people thought Noah was crazy? They did. What did Noah do? He obeyed God. Or Abraham. What do you think he did? He obeyed God. He obeyed God. Let's look at another part of Abraham's journey that took a little faith. Verse 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now, folks, I believe this was a one-time event. Do not go home today and try to sacrifice your teenager outside and say God led you to do this. You will go to prison for the rest of your life. I think this was a one-time, super special event. Here's Abraham. He has this kid. God says, this is the promised child. This is who the the Jewish nation is going to come through. This is who Jesus is going to come through. This is the only one, by the way, at the time. And God says, now I want you to go sacrifice him. I would have been able to rationalize that away, wouldn't you? Abraham said, okay. Now, I've always wondered about Isaac's state of mind. You know, when I was 16, if my father was tying me to a stack of wood and pulling a knife out, I think I'd have been kicking and screaming. Wouldn't y'all be? And God stopped it, and he didn't have to kill him. But, But Abraham said, hey, if God wants me to do this, he'll bring him back to life. Faith. Faith. One more example is is from Moses' life, verse 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater, listen to this, than, than value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses was adopted into Pharaoh's family, the most powerful king in the world. Folks, they have unearthed a pyramid in recent years 
that dates back to somewhere near the time of Moses. And in this pyramid was two tons, or excuse me, a ton, 2,000 pounds of gold. That's worth about $33 million in today's money. In other words, the wealth of, of Egypt and what Moses had at his fingertips was enormous. But he left it all to obey God. If you're going to follow God, it's going to take a lot of faith. I look back on my journey as a Christian, especially when I was a young Christian, and I, and I was able, I had to think about some of it this week, some, a, a time or two when I really missed God. Here's why. God was speaking to my heart, and it didn't make sense. And other people were saying, no, you're doing the right thing. And God's speaking to my heart saying, this isn't the right thing, this isn't the right thing, this isn't the right thing. But no, God, it's got to be the right thing. And I disobeyed him. You know why? Because I didn't have enough faith. I didn't trust God enough that he knew better than I knew. Isn't that crazy? See, that's the problem with all of us. You see, here's the obedience issue for most of us. It's a faith thing. Now, there can certainly be other issues. You know one reason we don't serve God is we don't have enough faith. You're asked to be a teacher. You're asked to help with youth. You're asked to help in some area. And, and, and there may be legitimate reasons you can't. I'm not saying that. But one thing, oh, I can't do that. I don't have the ability. I, I can't ever stand up before people. I can't live. I couldn't be a deacon. And you know what? Maybe that's exactly what God wants you to be doing. And it's a lack of faith from keeping you doing it. I don't like to beat the money horse. But I'm gonna you know why a lot of people don't tithe? Yes, some people don't tithe because they, they get mad at me. They get mad at Wayne. They get mad at somebody, and then we're going to punish God in the churches by not giving their money. Hardy, har, har, har. That's pretty silly. But here's another reason. So you look at your checkbook. I just can't do that. I, can, I can't tithe. I, I, there's no way I can make ends meet. We don't trust God enough. So, some of us, we work seven days a week. We run our kids seven days a week. You know why? Because we don't have enough faith to say we can do it God's way in six days. Some of you in this room, he may be today, but at some point God's going to speak to your heart and he's going to say, I want you to leave Ruston. I want you to leave Louisiana. I want you to go halfway across the world to serve me. And it's going to come down to one thing, faith. Because you're going to go, oh, no, I'm too old. I got a good job, and I make good money, and my mama lives right over here, and my daddy lives over here. My kids live. I can't leave this area. Listen, God loves your mama and your daddy and your kids more than you do, and he loves you more than you love yourself. It's going to come down to faith. Will you obey God? Listen, some of you want to go halfway across the world. God saying, I want you to stay in Ruston. It's going to take faith to do that, isn't it? Absolutely. You see, it comes down to whether we're going to trust God or not. By the way, your family will be better if you're in God's will 10,000 miles away from them than if you're living next door out of God's will. Okay? Years ago, a lady was talking to me, a good lady, a good Christian lady, and they were facing a major decision. She said, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do, so we just stepped out in faith and did something. That's not stepping out in faith. Stepping out in faith is not getting on the high dive at night and going, I don't know if there's water, but I'm going to step out in faith and find out. Splat. Stepping, here's what stepping out in faith is. Stepping out in faith is knowing what to do. It's going to be real hard to do it. You don't want to do it. 
Other people are telling you you shouldn't do it, and God's telling you should do it. That's stepping out in faith. Everything in your life depends on you obeying God. Your happiness, your kids, your family, your, your effectiveness for Jesus Christ is going to come down to you obeying God, and that's going to come back to a faith thing. Will you trust God enough to obey Him? If you're taking notes, I want you to write down three little thoughts before we, before we close. These are really good thoughts from a guy named Henry Blackaby. Many of you know who Henry Blackaby is. They come from experiencing God. They're thoughts about, uh, thoughts about God. One, God's all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Theologians call that omnipotent. God's got the bicep. God can pull it off. God's all-powerful. Number two, God's all-knowing, omniscient. God knows everything. God knows 10 years down the road better than you and I remember what happened yesterday. God's all-knowing. And number three, God's all-loving. All-powerful and all-knowing without love is scary. In other words, here's who you need to trust. You need to trust a God who knows everything. You need to trust a God who can make it happen when it's supposed to happen and a God who loves you more than you love yourself. That's who we trust. That's the challenge. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us as Christians to trust you. Help us to lean into you, God. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to pray with me, if you would, right where you're seated. Would you pray and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Today, by faith, I accept your God's Son that you died and arose for me. And Jesus, today, I give you my life. I give you my life. Come into my heart, Jesus. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment, and I want to challenge you to respond to to what God said to you. Maybe you just asked Christ into your heart, or you're ready to do that. Would you, when we stand, would you you come, and would you come this morning and, and seal that deal with God? Make sure that you're right with Christ when you leave here. Maybe you're ready to join the church. You, you can catch us after church. We can do that after church if you'd like to. Or you can come this morning down one of these aisles, and you can come and join us this morning. We'd love for you to do that. Come and join our church. God's leading you to. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar today, you need to say to God, that all of us need to probably repent and say, God, forgive me for my lack of faith. God, forgive me for how I haven't trusted you. But God, help me from this point on to live a life of faith trust you, to lean into you and to follow you with all my heart. Let's stand. As the Lord leads you, respond to him today. Respond to him.